0: Well, turn if you haven't already to Psalm 122. As I said, we're continuing through our series in the Psalms of Ascents. The title of this morning's message is Worship that Delights the Soul. Worship that Delights the Soul. Why don't you stand if you're willing and able, just out of reverence to God and attentiveness to His voice in the Scriptures? I'm reading out of the English Standard Version Hear the Word of the Lord. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem, built as a city that is bound firmly together, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord. There thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord, our God, I will seek your good. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, let's pray. Lord, your word is a precious gift, a precious gift to us. And we acknowledge that we don't always treat it as the treasure that it is, but we open it now with the expectation that you have something true and living and powerful to say to us. We know that it is able to pierce to the very center of our being and discern the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. And we ask you would do that with your word today as each one of us has need to hear it and to be moved by it. And so we ask, as we always do, that you would speak your word by your spirit through your servant to your people for your glory. And God, I ask that you would move me out of the way and just use me as your vessel to speak in a loving, leading way to your people this morning, in Christ's name. Amen. And you may be seated. Well, you, you may recall that uh, Psalm 120, I suggest it was, a psalm that was appropriate for leaving and embarking on the journey. I don't know that it's really called a leaving psalm. Some have referred to it that way, but appropriate for that, uh, beginning with repentance, saying no to the world's ways and yes to God's way. Psalm 121 then was a psalm that was suitable for singing along the way. And, it, and we lift our eyes to the hills where our help comes from uh, because God is creator and he is our keeper from all the kinds of threats and hazards that would come along with the journey um, like a pilgrimage to Jerusalem in the ancient world. So uh, just hazards related to the terrain, weather, uh, wild animals, thieves and robbers, evil people, and that kind of thing, that God would, would, would keep us from all those things. But it's suitable for singing along the way, very much intended from far off, where you might even see the mountain in the distance that would encourage you along, but you're still far off. Well, Psalm 122 is a psalm for arriving, arriving at that destination of Jerusalem. In fact, verse, verse 2 says, our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. And it is by the sweet providence of God, not by design of our own, um, that this would be the sermon text on the first Sunday that we return to the sanctuary. And of course, I know if you're tuned in online, you're you're not here with us, uh, and, and that's okay, but it was... Uh, it's just a, a, appropriately a fitting for this occasion in a way that we uh, couldn't, I suppose, have orchestrated, um, but God did by his, uh, his good providence. And many, many of those who will be gathering here uh, on site this morning in the sanctuary probably woke up today as, as saying, I was glad when it was time to go to the house of the Lord today. I've been looking forward to this occasion in a special way for quite some time. Uh, And so there's a special sort of jubilation in coming to worship today. And and not only today, uh, it may for some people be that way almost every week, Uh, the the invitation to go to worship, the call to go to worship. Um, But there are certainly some times that seem especially that way, and what is it that makes those occasions of worship like that especially delightful to the soul? Well, I think there are some things we see in Psalm one twenty-two that uh, that speak to that, and I want to suggest that there are three here, um, three ways in which worship can be especially delightful to the soul. Number one, that it's delightful; it's a delight to worship in sacred spaces. Number two, it's a delight to worship with the people of God. And number three, that it's delightful to worship in the presence of God. First, uh, just a delight to worship in sacred spaces. Uh, Verses 1 and 2 again say, I was glad when they said to me, Let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. This harkens back to even before any of those pilgrims would have left home and somebody said okay it's time for us to go and uh, they recall even back then I was glad when they said let's go up to Jerusalem to the house of the Lord and even having arrived in Jerusalem I was glad when it was time then to go up to the temple. Uh, to uh, to have arrived in the gates where he sa- it says that they have been standing, to have arrived within the gates of any walled city in the ancient world, uh, would be to uh, to find safety from all those dangers outside of the city. I mentioned the the the, the ones that. Uh, Psalm 121 sort of alludes to and God's protection from them. But, but outside of a city, especially far off from the city, there were all kinds of dangers there was no protection from, particularly uh, the evil intentions of evil men and uh, wild beasts and that sort of thing. But it, it also would have meant real food, <laughs> real shelter. You know, if you've been uh, if you've ever been camping or hiking and that kind of thing and you eat camping or hiking food uh, and you don't shower for a while and you sleep, you know, in a tent on the ground or, or, or maybe not even in a tent, in a hammock or just whatever, you know, just real food and real shelter and your bed and all that kind of thing is just uh, more comfortable than it usually is. And, and arriving in the city at the end of a pilgrimage like that would be Uh, That sort of experience, it would be relief from all those things. For most of those ancient pilgrims, it probably would have, that arrival in Jerusalem probably would have brought all the thrills um, and sort of amazement of being in a big city. For some of them, uh, of course, there would have been a first trip to Jerusalem. Uh, For some of them, maybe an only one. Um, but for probably most of them, it was only once um, or a, a year that they would go to these feasts, so maybe three of them a year um, total. But, it, but in any case, you can, you, you can imagine, or maybe you don't have to imagine because maybe it's true of you, but a, a small-town, rural sort of person going and visiting New York City or Washington, D.C., and just, and just being struck by all of it. You know, the, 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 the noise, the sounds, the sights, the bustle, and all of that kind of thing. That, uh, for some of us, that may, those all may be reasons to turn around and leave and go back to the small town rural home that you know. But the point is, there, there's a sort of wonder of arriving in a big city like that. Surely it was uh, thrilling in a certain uh, number of ways uh, to those journeymen. But Jerusalem was a special place in a, in a deeper way than that, or deeper ways than that. And we see a few of them here. It was, a, it was a place of strength and security. It says in verse 3, Jerusalem built as a city that is bound firmly together. It's a strong city. Verse 6 uh, says, as he's praying, may, the, may they be secure who love you. Verse 7, and security be within your towers. That's part of the prayer. It's a safe and secure place, and may it continue to be for those who are within your walls, a place of strength and security that it represented to those people. It was a place of justice, verse 5 says. There thrones for judgment were set, and the thrones of the house of David. Thrones for judgment, that whatever evil might transpire out in the... uh, beyond the walls of the city and sort of out beyond the reach of the city. Whatever evils were out there where there were no uh, patrolmen out riding around uh, to be sure lawlessness doesn't occur. There's plenty of lawlessness out there. Um, but whatever, uh, whatever of that transpired, it would be justice uh, from Jerusalem that would flow um, out to render justice to those evildoers, and that in some cases they would be brought into Jerusalem uh, in order for that justice to be rendered. But it's a place of justice, and that's a a welcome reminder for those people who have been uh, subject to, vulnerable to, injustice and evil uh, all along that journey. It was a place of peace, it says. Uh, The very name of Jerusalem is it's Jeru Shalem, uh, the Shalem being sort of a, a relative of the word Shalom, the Hebrew word for peace. Uh, the name itself can be translated as foundation of peace. That is, peace is embodied, embedded in the name of the city itself. It's a place of peace, and he prays that peace will be preserved in verses 6, 7, and 8 there. And then finally, it was a place of worship. Verse 4 says that Jerusalem was not only a strong city, as it says in verse 3, but a city to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord. Jerusalem was a place... uh, that was decreed to be a place of worship, for all the tribes of Israel to go up there and worship. And of course, most of those making uh, the pilgrims to Jerusalem would only come for those feasts and festivals of worship, uh, three pilgrimage feasts in particular, you know, Passover uh, Pentecost and, and booths or, or tabernacles. Um, that would have been the only occasions that most of them came up to Jerusalem was to worship. Which would mean, and this, is, this will sort of get us uh, to the heart of the, of the point here. That would mean for most of them, they would always associate worship with Jerusalem. That those worship experiences that they had when they came to Jerusalem would always be a part of their memories of Jerusalem. And they would always be reminded of those when they came to Jerusalem. They would always associate Jerusalem with worship. And all of that underscores the fact um, that worship is especially delightful in sacred spaces. See, when they left home and said, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord because they're going up to a sacred place to worship. They think of it that way. You know, God can be worshipped anywhere, of course. Um, but we're helped in our worship, and our worship somehow is enhanced when we worship in places that are set apart for that purpose. Uh, it has a lot to do with why our return to the sanctuary has, has been such a special occasion we've looked forward to for a long time. You know, we having worshipped in the gym for as long as we did, and we have had wonderful worship back there. Um, There really have been some, I I think there's just been some uh, liberating aspect to being in that space. Maybe it's the physical space itself. Um, There's been some wonderful things to say about that worship, but everybody has longed to get back to the sanctuary for our worship. Uh, Again, uh, largely, I think, because of this truth, that, that our worship is just enhanced um, by worshiping in sacred places. It's, it's set apart for that purpose. It's not profaned as such. In other words, we don't do, like in the gym, we, you know, play basketball and other sports and games and all kinds of recreations and amusements. There's nothing wrong with that, and it can still be used uh, perfectly well as a place of worship. But our, our, our sanctuary, our sacred places are set apart for that purpose. And of course, it's not about the place itself, is it? It's not about the place. It's about the heart that occupies the place. But there is something in our heart that is just uh, drawn out and, and, and prepared and conditioned to worship in a more meaningful way very often in those sacred places. And for those who are worshiping at home and have been worshiping at home, Um, in many ways, this can be done even in the home environment. And maybe some of you have done this. Uh, But you can consecrate a little sacred space in your home. uh, There's no minister that needs to come bless it. You know, you don't have to throw holy oil on it or anything like that. Uh, but, But just a little space that's set apart for worship. That could be the guest bedroom, if you have one. It could be the room over the garage, could be a little a little corner of the garage itself uh you might have to uh really do a little bit of work to set that apart depending on what your garage looks like um but it could just be a corner of the house with a chair in it that that's the place that you go when you do your uh devotional reading your prayer time and even your uh worship perhaps on sunday morning it's just you 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 choose that that's a place you're, you're not going to use. Here's one of the helpful things about that exercise. That if you say the guest room is going to be my little sacred space of worship and I can afford to consecrate it to that purpose, then part of what that entails is just deciding I'm not going to use it to do work. I'm not going to use it to, to just do recreational kinds of things. Again, not that there's anything spiritually Uh, morally wrong with doing that and worshiping in the same places just to say what are consecrated in our own hearts is to set it apart from those other things um, exclusively for the worship of God now that's not always possible but where it is possible worship can be especially delightful in uh, sacred places second um, it's a delight to worship with the people of God. Verse 4, as I already read, says that Jerusalem was a city to which the tribes go up. The tribes uh, of the Lord. To give thanks to the name of the Lord. At all other times of the year, those tribes would, would live sort of scattered all over Israel. But on these occasions, they all came to Jerusalem. The 12 tribes representing the, the, the fullness, the whole uh, nation of Israel together in worship, that there's something complete about that. That's sort of the picture of it. Uh, they're brought all together in one place to worship as one people. And that's the way corporate worship is supposed to be. Well, w- one place where we come together as one people. Now, uh, obviously, each believer individually has a personal relationship with God, and we're supposed to. But together, all together, we are supposed to have a corporate relationship with God. We are one people, so just as you as an individual uh, have a relationship with God, we as a people have a relationship with God. Uh, and personal relationships with each other, by the way, um, that are sort of worked out and expressed when we come together. But there is something inexplicable. It's, you, you can't explain exactly why this is true, but, but being together in the same place as God's people just enhances our own individual experience of worship. I, I've had people along the way, say this to me, having been out for some time, uh, you know, at home worshiping and then coming back and saying, boy, it just felt really good to all be together, to be with, to be with the people of God. I'm thankful to be able to worship via video, but there's just something special about being uh, together. Um, and so it, it, it enhances our own individual experience of worship, even though worship is not about my experience. It's, it's really about uh, God being exalted, right? He's the, he's the reason why we worship. And our cor- corporate worship is, is supposed to be expressed corporately, but even so, my own personal experience in that is enhanced by being together. Uh, when we gather, though, When we gather together, just as this picture of the tribes all coming to one place and being the picture of one people, when we gather together, it is for the purpose of worshiping corporately, not for the purpose of worshiping privately while we stand in the same room. And uh, I don't want to make too much of this point, but also don't want to make too little because um, in our, again, highly independent-minded American world, especially in sort of this era, these last, I don't know, decades or whatever, uh, m- more and more we've gotten a very individualized notion of worship. So, so we're, we're seeking what our own experience is that gonna, uh, in that is going to be like. And um, we, we come into a, a room, it can be a large gathering of people, but we're sort of thinking of it as getting alone with God uh, in a room full of people, and and again, I don't want to um, I don't want to downplay whatever value that has had in the lives of personal individual people. But that's not why we come together. We come together to worship as one people, corporately, not privately. Uh, you know, while we stand in the same room. Now, the implications of that are some songs, for example. Uh, aren't really s- most suitable for singing corporately. They're just, they don't make for good congregational songs. Not every song that you enjoy singing, um, you know, in your car, in the shower, or wherever you might sing, not every song that you enjoy singing is one that the congregation necessarily ought to sing corporately. They're not all suitable that way. And the point simply being, we need to it's helpful to make that distinction. Some expressions of worship, can be distracting to others in a corporate setting uh, where they would be fine um, if you're in a private setting. And and by the way, we would be encouraged to worship privately. Uh, But to sort of exaggerate the point a little bit, you know, if if you enjoy doing your gymnastics routine while you worship, you know, that would be a distraction in... The church, lots of other people would have their eyes drawn to you instead of um, to others. Now, I know I'm I'm sort of making a silly point there, but there are some people who in worship come just short of gymnastics. (laughs) And that's distracting too. And there's nothing inherently bad about it. It's just unhelpful in a congregational setting, you see. Uh, We're we're coming together as a people to worship with one voice. It's... Sort of part of the reason why um, uh, 1 Corinthians 13.1 says, it referring to the, the employment of spiritual gifts in a congregational setting, that if, if I have the tongues of angels but have not love, I'm like a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And the problem with clanging cymbals is that they're clanky and, uh, and, and they, they're disruptive. And I, you know, as I've said before, I was a percussionist. I like loud, noisy instruments, but, but they, they don't always help uh, a group of people. Um, sometimes our worship in, uh, literally or figuratively can be just noisy and distracting. And so uh, when we gather, it's for the purpose of worshiping corporately, not worshiping privately. And as we do that, as we really uh, uh, contribute to the one voice of the people of God. There is something especially delightful about that. The, the third point here was that it's, uh, it's a delight to worship in the presence of God. So, not only to worship in sacred spaces and to work, worship with the people of God, but it's a delight to worship in the presence of God. This is really probably the most significant uh, observation to make about this Jerusalem arrival. Because it was a revered and sacred place in a whole variety of ways. Like I mentioned, arriving there was a jubilant occasion for, for, for many, way, many reasons. Uh, but above all, arriving in Jerusalem meant arriving in the city where God dwelled. That's what was so, that was what's most significant about Jerusalem. Yes, it's the capital of, uh, of the nation of Israel. It, it, it sort of is representative in some way of their identity. It's a civic, political center, it's a cultural center and, and, and economic center and all those kinds of things. But it is the city where God dwelled above all other things. In fact, the psalm ends by saying, For the sake of the house of the Lord, our God, I will seek your good, Jerusalem. When he's saying, I will pray for peace, may the people within your walls be secure, and so forth. All of that prayer, I'm I'm seeking the good of the city because that's the place where the house of the Lord our God is. Psalm uh, 48 makes this point even more clearly. Uh, In the first three verses, it says, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God. His holy mountain, beautiful in elevation, is the joy of all the earth. Mount Zion in the far north, the city of the great king. Within our citadels, God has made himself known as a fortress. Jerusalem was the city of God. And so for those pilgrims to enter the city gates was to draw near to the presence of God, and they knew it as they came into the city and they still see up on the mount there, the temple of God, and they're saying, hey, there's God's house. That's where God lives in a very real way. And you've maybe had that experience before, maybe as a child and you were more fascinated than as an adult, but when you've been near some place where some famous person lived, and you say, hey, that's where uh, whoever, you know, Frank Sinatra, or somebody. Yeah, I, I don't know why I'm thinking of a dead person, but whoever, you know, uh, or, or, or even being in Washington, D.C., and, go, and being near the White House or in the White House. This is where the president lives. That's a big deal. They arrive in Jerusalem, they see the temple up on the Temple Mount, and say, That's where God lives. That's what's at the heart of the matter in arriving in the city and saying, I was glad when they said, Let's go to the house of the Lord. That's where God lives. That's where uh, they would approach his presence. Uh, And I just want to say a couple of quick things about the presence of God, because I said uh, we delight, it's it's a delight to worship in the presence of God. Two important truths about the presence of God, just very briefly. Uh, Number one, the Bible tells us that um, God is both to use the big college words, transcendent and eminent, meaning God is everywhere, but God is also here. Uh, that yes, it's true, God is everywhere all the time, but God manifests himself in, 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 in present and personal ways, and he does, he does so um, in different ways, in the presence of different people at different times. You can read that throughout the Bible. Moses and the burning bush, for example, And you just have different manifestations of the presence of God. Uh, But but he is everywhere. But he's also here. And I'll uh, come back, try to come back to uh, the significance of that in just, just a moment. The second point, though, is that the biblical story begins and ends with God's presence. In Genesis... God is present with Adam and Eve in the garden. Of course, it was sin that broke that fellowship with God so that it's not like he ceased to be present, particularly in a transcendent kind of way, but their relationship with him, their, their uh, interaction, encounter with that presence was, was changed dramatically. Right? And that's why, I mean, that's why God set about a plan to restore that fellowship. And so the book ends, the story ends, with what I read at the outset of the service in the New Jerusalem. That the people of God being constantly in the presence of God, there's no temple there. There's no need for a temple. There's no need for sun or moon. There's no need for... Uh, gates of the city to be locked. There's just peace, shalom, constantly. It's all been completed. So, so there's a sense in which th- th- what we ultimately seek is a restoration uh, into the presence of God. That, that, w- that what it is that we're seeking on this spiritual pilgrimage ultimately is the presence of God. And in between... Uh, the beginning of the story and the end of the story, God's manifest himself in a variety of ways, uh, most decisively in the person of Jesus. Where the temple, you know, the veil was torn, and and, and uh, years later the temple itself destroyed. Uh, but that whole system was fulfilled in the very person and sacrifice of Jesus. He he, he manifests himself in the person of Jesus. And then as Jesus ascended, he gave to us the Holy Spirit who now manifests God's presence in the earth and especially in the church and in the individual lives of his people. And so what we seek ultimately, we seek presently the, the presence of God through the Holy Spirit. And we do that, uh, again, we can do that and experience that in a variety of ways, but we do that um, in in significant and uh, important ways, ways for which there's no substitute. uh, We do that by coming together in worship. And so people say, I said I would come back to this, point, yes, God is everywhere, but he's also here. Uh, Some people will say, I don't have to go uh, to church. I don't have to be a part of any sort of corporate worship gathering. I can worship God anywhere because God is everywhere. Well, that's true. God is everywhere, but God is here. And I don't mean just at our church, but I mean God makes himself eminently known, uh, present in personal ways. And while, yes, he can do that anywhere, he does that, in a special way among the gathered people of God. And and when we uh, pursue His presence by His Spirit in worship and just in living in our whole relationship with Him, it's it's just transformational and it is delightful. And that is one thing uh, that causes worship to, to be a delight for which there is no substitute. Well, as I've said, as we started this series on the Psalms of Ascents, we are all people on a journey. We're all, we're all on a journey. And in real life, the journey is long and rugged. You know, there are many days and seasons that are made up of the rocky places and the steep inclines and the, and the, and the constant uh, inescapable heat and the hazards of... Uh, the the wild beasts, so to speak. Life is, in many seasons, made up of just those hardships. And so, along the way, uh, our our journey is punctuated by regular moments of worship that fuel and energize us for the journey and that just delight our soul. Uh, May he uh, give us the, the grace and the privilege of experiencing a worship uh, of that sort, not only today, but regularly in our, in our worship gatherings and in our personal worship. Well, let's pray. Well, God, thank you for a psalm that would, would invite us to be jubilant, that would invite us to praise, that would invite us to celebrate the arrival at a special time and place of worship. Lord, that was certainly the case for those singing this psalm uh, at the end of their pilgrimage. Lord, it's true in a special way for those who will be gathering in our sanctuary today, but Lord, um, it is true for uh, each of us Individually, uh, at different times, God, they could just be brought uh, to those special and powerful uh, moments of worship. And so we 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 ask, Lord, that you would um, that you would bring us into that kind of experience of worship that just delights our soul. We thank you, Lord, though, for the the gift that worship is to us. God, we pray that in our worship we would encounter your presence more and more. That we would delight to worship as one people more and more. And God, that we would be grateful um, and enhanced by the sacred places that you've given us for a a special kind of worship. And God, I I know that there are those who um, have been worshiping at home who really need, for one reason or another, to remain at home, either because of um, their own health concerns Concerns about the health environment, Lord, or, or, or those who just have convictions uh, that, that uh, inhibit them from worshiping freely under the conditions that we're currently in. And So God, would you be gracious to them as they remain uh, worshiping in that home environment for this uh, season. But Lord, there are those two I know who have just become comfortable sitting on the sofa on Sunday morning. And uh, God, I ask, what maybe they wouldn't ask, that you would make them uncomfortable there. Uh, That if that's uh, the only reason that would keep them from gathering together with your people in your presence here, uh, Lord, that you would move them uh, out of that comfortable place uh, to return to be with the congregation Uh, who lifts one voice as one people. Well, God, we thank you and pray that you would continue to minister the truth of the word to us. In Jesus' name, amen.